Welcome to the Upline Cut. My name is Laurel Oldershaw. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and my racial identity is a white American. Hey, I'm Luke Johnson. My pronouns are he, him, is, and I am a white American. Uh, Laurel, I really miss these little chit-chats to start off a podcast. Yeah, I really miss uh, one, chatting with you, but also two, seeing you. I mean, at this point, I feel like we would have been giving each other big hugs by now, you know? That it would get weird, yeah. We are looking at each other on Zoom, though, so that's nice. Gazing deeply into your eyes. I don't think I've stared into people's eyes this much since I started using Zoom, as much as I do now. I, I saw a tweet today that was like, I don't, oh, shoot, I can't remember who it was, and so I can give them credit. But it was like Skype blew a 17-year lead on video chat to Zoom. How do you that. do that? I've seen that How do you, one. Skype! What are you doing? Uh, pour one out for Skype. Pour one out for Skype. And the best part about Zoom is that we can video chat with our friends while we are unemployed. Definitely. I feel like I have talked to and reconnected with the most random assortment of people ever just because there's nothing really to do and like it you can't really see the friends around you anyway so you might as well connect with all these folks true like for sure i think i went from talking to random people at work 40 hours a week to talking to random friends that i haven't talked to in seven years 40 hours a week yeah Totally. And we're both unemployed uh, for now. But I think part of that, too, has been, I mean, for me, really looking at, all right, who do I know? Who do I know out there that's doing interesting work? How do I reconnect with them? How do I learn from them? And it's been, I think, on one, in learning how to process my emotions and process what's going on right now, right? Even just like we're living through a pandemic and it is it is exhausting, right? No matter what kind of situation out there you're in, it is an exhausting change of pace. And we have all lost access to uh, some form of therapy, right? Whether that's concerts, ultimate Frisbee games, uh, going out for a drink, going out to coffee. Like there are so many aspects of natural life that we have used in the past to process that we've lost. And I think that's been in really interesting to watch that emotional grieving from the world. Mm. I really miss uh, like working out with some friends and giving them high fives after we put in a good rep or something. Like yesterday, I worked out with a friend of mine for about two and a half hours, but we were on other sides of the field because, you know, social distancing. Yeah. And every time we just did something intense, we couldn't like high five and it made me so sad. Yeah. Even just like seeing friends from a distance and like doing like six foot uh, hangouts at the park. I'm like, Ugh, I just want to give you a hug goodbye. Like, I don't know what the natural change is for hugs. I, I don't know, but the amount of hugging that's going to occur when social distancing ends is going to be disturbing. Yes. Let's all make sure it's consensual first off. And the huck secondly, yes. yeah, huck yes. And I don't know about you, man, but I got to say I'm pretty nervous about this second wave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I am. You know, you know, things are great. Our, our leaders are all geniuses. 
Yeah. And we have excellent healthcare system in place and everything's great. Yeah, thankfully in America, we put the people with the best background forward, which means mm -hmm. we do not have anybody on our decision-making team who has any scientific background. So yeah. that is I think not the reass most reassuring thing. No, and I, I don't want to get like too riled up politically right now because I sure could. <laughs> but I think something that is really sucking about this is how like bleak our political situation is in this country right now and i know for myself and a lot of other people i care about it's a big bummer but i do want to like throw a bright side in to all of this is there are some people doing really cool stuff right now uh i've seen a lot of really cool articles recently and videos coming out and movies and stuff uh and there are people in the ultimate community doing awesome stuff too uh chip chang and rena kawabata are facilitating a workshop series on the asian american diaspora uh it it's something that especially is really important i think in this time of COVID 19 where there's a lot of extra racism uh being thrown towards asian americans um, uh, there's also Anna Thorne doing some really cool stuff, uh, teaching how to make cocktails at her cocktail camp on Fridays. Another thing that you should check out. Um, yeah. What are some things that have been entertaining you, Laurel? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, bringing up Asian American racism is huge right now in America. One thing I've been reflecting a lot on as a white person is the fact that a lot of my uh, anti-racism work has been centered around the black experience in America. Um, and I all of a sudden, you know, we have and we've had, you know, I'm, I'm saying this wrong, but, you know, Asian Asian folks in America have been considered the model minority. Right. And just having that reference is already racist. And yet at the same time, I never have really delved into looking at that uh, or understanding why uh, that is the case or even understanding any type of history. And so I feel like this moment and watching what our president is doing has been a really kind of look in the mirror on the work that I can go do uh, around anti-racism, particularly directed towards uh, Asian American folks and learning more there. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely trying to spend the time not only learning some new skills such as graphic design photos uh but also kind of taking the moment to see you know what are my biases what are uh some of the philosophies and and theories that i maybe reinforce without recognizing it uh, particularly directed at asian folks here in america uh, and how can I be more active, a more active ally in that work so that it's not just saying, hey, I'm a woke white person, but, you know, we have a huge international crisis on our hands right now. And how can we talk with and discuss with other folks in an honest way and in a way that really brings all voices to the table? Yeah, and that actually is sort of something uh, that we touched a little bit on in this episode in our interview. Uh Something that I've been thinking a lot about in this time, especially with all my free time, is how I can be a better ally and not rely on people uh, people of color and women to sort of teach me uh, 
what, like, how to be a better ally. Like, that's something I should be, as a white man, figuring out and really doing the work on my own, especially provided that white men caused a lot of the issues right now. Yeah, and this season, actually, of the Upline Cut, we'll be talking a lot about anti-racism and how to be a better ally and around all different types of topics. And as you kind of mentioned, this one in particularly is going to go more in depth on uh, particularly how to be an ally around trauma. This is so, I feel, I definitely feel a little nervous recording about this work of anti-racism and allyship. I have to be honest. And I know uh, because I feel like it's a process, right? So even though we are publishing and recording uh, and discussing weekly this work, it's still something that, right, we're learning. It almost makes me feel like somebody's cutting deep and I just am not going to throw that flick because I don't trust my huck, right? Mm. And I feel that ver- that same way right now about allyship and, and anti-racist work, even though I feel like some folks would look at us as one of those more forward-thinking podcasts, right? Yeah, I think about that a lot. It's like, I never want... And I forget if I discussed this in the interview, but like, I never want someone to look at me and be like, oh, he thinks he knows everything. He's this suit. He thinks he's this super woke white boy. And I'm like, in reality, I'm just like, nah, I'm just trying to learn. And I know I'm going to make mistakes. So if I make a mistake, tell me. Yeah. Yeah. And that is kind of our motto. And putting it out there to folks if you hear us make mistakes we've had people reach out in the past and it has been a definite growing experience for us so we are open and we are excited to call folks in on that and that kind of brings us to this interview uh so this interview is with a friend of mine from college uh katherine braxton pronouns they them and she her hers Uh, they're a sexual philosopher queer witch and yoga teacher with a small business called In Search of a Garden, TM, uh, which is a hub for processing the return of mind and body connection through movement, yoga, herbal medicine, and community building. They currently host a weekly restorative yoga class on Saturdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And to follow along and sign up for a class, go to Instagram at underscore in search of a garden underscore and katherinebraxton.com. And I will say uh, she also is doing some awesome work with a company called Equitable Giving Circle, uh, which is a collective out of Portland, Oregon. So shout out all you schwa fans out there. Uh, And right now EGC is working on fundraising for BIPOC farmers in the area and dropping off and delivering food boxes and CSAs. So awesome work. Uh, And I will just say before we dive into this interview that quick trigger warning uh, and content warning, uh, there are going to be some references to trauma, uh, both sexual, emotional, and physical. And we just want to make sure that you're in a great headspace or in a good headspace, I should say, uh, to listen to all that. Um, Yeah, we're trying to really take the podcast this year to another place and beyond ultimate partly because right now ultimate is a closed off setting for us but we just want to thank you all so much for joining us we are also 
running a fund right now for our guests on the podcast, as well as for other folks and friends of the pod who have been laid off by coronavirus. And you're welcome to donate at our Venmo at the Upwind Institute or through our PayPal, the the Institute at gmail.com. Yeah. And going beyond ultimate is something that we're going to do a lot more of this year and next year and however long this podcast runs. Uh, I We both, I should say, really believe that Ultimate is more than just a sport for a lot of people and the stuff going on outside of Ultimate really affect people that play it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, if you if you want to support the podcast directly, you can also do that at our soundcloud link uh that'll be attached to this podcast and it'll be on our facebook and twitter and all that stuff uh there's just a link to affect podcast hosts and other content creators who are affected by COVID 19 in there and with no further ado we'll get to the interview All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We are here with Catherine Braxton, who will give her own introduction. Hello, everyone out there in the world. My name is Catherine Braxton. I am an artist, first and foremost, uh, but also I have a passion for uh, sex and healing from sexual trauma and engaging in mind-body connection and one of the ways that I do that is as a yoga teacher and I'm currently residing in Portland, Oregon which is the land of the Chinook peoples it's unceded land um, and yeah I'm here today I'm excited let's do it so just to kind of dive in more around why you do what you do can you give us a little bit more of a history of uh, how you got into this work, and also, more specifically, the work it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I I came into the work of, um, well, first of all, I am currently in training for, um, well, to become a, okay, so currently I am in training to become a full-spectrum doula, and what that means is that I assist people, birthing people, who um, range from like abortion, hey, I'm about to get an abortion, to I'm giving birth, to postpartum, to um, basically just healing the body again after birth. Um, And then I also work one-on-one with people to kind of reclaim their orgasmic selves, um, especially after trauma, but it doesn't have to be after trauma. It's just kind of one of those things where like, someone's like, hey, I don't really find my body sexy at all. And I'm like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why. Um, And I got into that work uh, pretty young. My cousin got pregnant when I was about 12. And she was carrying twins. It was a very um, complicated pregnancy. It was riddled with a lot of complications. And I kind of was her unspoken doula in a way. Um, And that's kind of how I fell in love with just like birth in general. Then I went through a lot of sexual trauma 
um, and sexual abuse as a young person into my 20s. And through that whole time, I was just being an artist. I was dancing and I was learning viewpoints and I was acting. And so kind of all of that awareness of the human, I guess, uh, the human existence drove me to figure out how do I make a career out of this because we live in a capitalistic world. And um, that's kind of how I found my calling. <laughs> so I know you. we really appreciate you talking about your trauma and everything that you've gone through. Uh, what was it like for getting this on the ground as like a career? Uh, I know it's obviously something that can be really difficult, like you mentioned, in a capitalist world. Uh, what was that beginning like? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still in the beginning, really. <laughs> uh, huh, let's see. I've been teaching f- yoga for a grand total of mm-hmm. about two years. Um, and I was kind of teaching in studios and um, really kind of working through the avenues of other people. Um, and other places. And so, believe it or not, COVID is actually the first time where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm hosting classes on my own. Like, okay, cool. This is all my thing. Um, And so, I definitely, so family history, my, some of my family members have been entrepreneurs in the past. um, But like, I don't have any background in business school or anything like that. Um, I went to Wheaton College and Brown University and studied ritual and Africana studies. So that's like completely out of the range, you feel me? But it all kind of bleeds in together. Um, And so I think I'm still kind of learning what it is to be an entrepreneur and especially what it is to be a black and and indigenous entrepreneur. Um, And there's a lot of pitfalls you know there's a lot of okay did that wrong all right well let me get back up and see what this is like if I go over here and do this um and so long story short it's definitely tough um I definitely noticed that um folks are less willing to engage with a black and brown body than they are with a white body who owns their business um and so like small businesses are definitely not created equal if you know what I mean um but I definitely am enjoying the process of what it's like to have my own business. So diving more into your business, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but what was it like creating a business uh, themed from this concept of recovering from trauma, which is already a pretty heavy thing to uh, work with? How did that kind of either impact your decision to start the business or, uh, yeah, how was that for you? Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that when I first started, I kind of came out with trauma informed and a lot of people are like, that's a little Ivy League. I really don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. Um, and so for me, I had to think about how do I want to help people and what does it look like for me to purely operate from a standpoint of I want to help people and not I want to get money to survive. Right. Which is completely different because as a black and brown person growing up, especially the way that I did with a lower economic standing, um, I was kind of conditioned to be like, you need to get a job to get money to like survive rather than like you are creating this space to help heal people and to create access um, and to make yourself also whole in a way. Like all of this work that I'm doing helps me to be a whole human being. Um, 
So as much as I am helping other people, I'm also helping myself. I'm forgetting the absolute specifics of your question because I'm going off on a tangent because I'm an Aquarius. Tangents are ideal. I'm an Aquarius. Get that back. Holler at me again. Throw that, throw that over here. Uh, primarily, I'm curious around how you have processed your own trauma to allow you to then work with folks who are going through their other traumas. Uh, and how you kind of process that internally. Yeah, uh, there are definitely a lot of organizations that have helped me do that work and a lot of really beautiful um, black women, black trans women and indigenous women um, who've really helped me to understand my own trauma in a really, um, I think, communal way. Um, so I worked with Indigenous Women Rising for a couple years, uh, and I was the advocacy trainer. And what I did was I worked with um, people, mostly folks in Native American communities, to talk about how to advocate for yourself in a medical situation. Um, before that, I worked in Planned Parenthood as a abortion doula, which that was before we were like terminalized terminology term. Before we were like professionally talking about like abortion doula work and like doula work, which now, you know, all the white women yogis have been like, oh, my God, I'm a doula and like abortion work. And you're like, all right, cool. Um, But, you know, I was doing it before it was cool Um, and really working with um, communities who did not have the access. Um, I spent some time talking to people at Black Women's Blueprint, which is an amazing organization based in New York City. Um, and they basically uh, talk about the sexual abuse to mortality to maternal mortality pipeline. So basically what happens, right, is that the rate of sexual trauma for black and brown women, I'm going to talk about black women specifically, is like 85%, right? So 85% of us, 95% of us are going to experience sexual trauma at some point in our lives. That also leads to maternal mortality, meaning that we die in childbirth. Um, either from complications during the birth or after the birth, which doctors and folks just are not paying attention to. Um, and so for me, I was like, oh, that's me. Like, I'm a die in childbirth if I don't get my shit together. Um, so it really, like for me, it wasn't a luxury. It was like, I want to survive. So how do I survive and how do I heal? Um, and, oh, I can create a business from this was not my first thought at all. Um, my first thought was like, how do I heal? And then how do I help my community? Um, And I think I'm very privileged to be able to turn it into a job. So I want to go back a tiny bit uh, to something that you had just touched on. And I I really do hate... uh, I hate asking for this instead of us just figuring it out on our own. But what can white folks who are involved in yoga do to sort of help... Sorry, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this. Oh, yeah, you fucking it up, and I'm going to tell you you fucking it up. But we're going to clean it up, and then we're going to rework it. So it's cool. Exactly. Yeah, tell me. Tell if, I tell Laurel. Laurel knows this very well. If I fuck up, just tell me. Okay. I want to be better. Okay. So how can white folks help ease the burden that is disproportionately on black and brown women? in this particular field. Mm, okay, uh, I'm gonna flip the question the question back at you. How did we get yeah. here? I mean, through, and I would assume the white supremacist patriarchy and laws 
that are heavily favoring white men and allow white men to behave horribly. Yeah. So, well, now I'm going to just keep talking. <laughs> and I would say by holding especially white men accountable and their negative actions. Absolutely. Um, that is a very big part, uh, portion of it that white people can do, right? Um, like, I think something that was really interesting that just happened um, is that a young man, Ahmad Arbery, was killed, uh, murdered, while jogging, right? Um, and we're like, okay, well, what can white people do, right? And then there came out with this whole, like, I run with Ahmad thing, right? Okay, but let me ask you a question, though. On a regular ass day, Ahmad Arbery has not happened yet. What are you doing to make space for the black and brown bodies around you? And how are you educating the young people in your communities that black people are not dangerous, that native people are not dangerous, so then we don't have to be killed, right? Um, so specifically in terms of sexual trauma, which is like my realm, right? Or in yoga, which is my realm, and really body connection. Um, I would say when you think of yoga, well, I'm gonna ask you a question, right? One, on the like number one, I don't, this is never my thought. I don't ever think about this, no. 10 is like, oh my God, yes, right? If I say, I just went to yoga class, who do you think is the teacher? Go. White woman. Right. So. Oh, I don't think that's a good thing that I think that. <laughs> right. But when I walk in yeah. the classroom, right, or if I'm an experience or if I'm teaching a class, how many people do you think are going to sign up for the class purely because they see a black body and they're a little bit confused? Definitely less sadly. Right. So then how do we uh, tweak it? Right. How do we engage with those people? Rather than to just kind of be like, well, nobody came. We don't even know black people teach yoga. Y'all teach yoga? What? Right? Not even realizing the brown people are the people who created this art form, right? So um, how are you educating yourself and not expecting that I just do all the labor? Mm-hmm. On top of, Because on top of all the other things that I have to deal with on a daily basis... Teaching you also lowers my life. Why? Because now there's cortisol in my system. Cortisol is a very interesting chemical. Basically what it does is it gives you the fight or flight response. So you either, well, now they're finding out that there's freeze too, right? You fight, you fight, you fly, or you freeze. And so for me, I have to navigate having cortisol in my system on a daily basis and also try to survive and also remember to breathe and also remember to regulate my hormones so that I am not, which I can't really do, right? How much can I really regulate my hormones on my own like consciousness? But like, how do I make sure that I am not being aggressive or mean or all the other stereotypes while also attempting to teach a yoga class, right? So those are all the things that are, that are going on when a black body is operating in space. Um, so how do we make it better? I don't know. How do we make it better? What would you like to see? I mean, I definitely think educating from the earliest levels is very, or in a better way, I should say, is very important. Uh, the way that we educate in this country is gross. And yeah, something I can go down a long tangent about. Yeah. It's like, what books are you reading? How are you making space in those in those areas and places, you know? So on the topic of education, uh, 
the pandemic and Catherine, we've talked about this before, how it's basically magnified all of these uh, considerable economic and racial divides that have already existed in the country. Uh, one thing that some white folks seem to be catching up on is this concept of privilege of access uh, to space to work out and access to time uh, to kind of stay healthy and therefore maintain uh, mental health. How has that uh how has that uh, topic either impacted your work or has kind of come up in some of the sessions that you're doing now? I would definitely say that I am now competing with more of the uh, white yogis. Um, There's actually a really good podcast. uh, I think it's called White Women Killed Yoga. It's done by two um, Indian women, like Indian Indian women um, who are yoga teachers and they're awesome awesome they do an amazing job at uh talking about this topic really in depth um for me i definitely think that i'm competing now with more uh white yogis um to kind of build my own client base which um i would say that the folks who know about my work know about my work and enjoy it um and then the folks who don't are kind of like you know, I want to get those people because, like, they need healing, too. Um, for me, I think I'm definitely trying to uh, create a focus for people who are usually not depicted in yoga, right? So, like, folks who are fat, folks who are, which I'm fat, so that's me. Um, folks who are other-bodied or different, you know, their bodies are processed as other or different. Um, And I say that with quotations around them. I forgot, y'all not gonna be able to see me. Um, (laughs) And really for me, it's about creating space. So like my space is not where all the um, white women in yoga are. Um, And I've had to like come to terms with that on my own and be like, okay, my space is over here. and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with me shining in my fullness. Um, I think somewhere along the line, I internalized that me being me was a bit too much. It was a bit too extra. It was a bit too aggressive. It was um, whatever it was. And so I think that's part of the reason why I really enjoy teaching restorative yoga, where it's slower and it's more focused about, it's more focused in meditation. Um, and really in noticing the connection between, okay, what's going on with my body and what's going on with my mind over here and how can I meld the two of those things? Um, so yeah, I think the space that I hold is completely different than the typical yoga space. How do you think you can directly use yoga to sort of help with everything going on in the world right now and the stress caused by covid So at this point in time, right, we're experiencing a lot of collective trauma, right? So there are a great number of people who are out of work that maybe have not been out of work before. There are a great number of people who don't have access to moving their bodies, who maybe previously had access to moving their bodies a lot more. Um, There are a great many people who have more free time, right? Because now it's like, stay at home. Mm -hmm. Say, Say what? Um, so we definitely have a complete changing of the collective consciousness going on, which I think is really cool. Um, and how we can use yoga in that space and just healing modalities in general, um, 
is to just take a second to slow down, to put down the phone, to um, engage with other people in a way that is sincere and really isn't any more than how are you and I want to make a space for you that is healing. Um, It's not built in advertisement. It's not built in anything other than teaching yourself how to heal yourself. Um, And I think that yoga... Like yoga as a practice, right? Like a lot of people are like, oh, well, yoga is just body movement. Like, no, yoga is a literal way of thinking. Um, To be in a state where I say it's not always about me um, and to really say, how can I engage with we, right? How can I engage with the collective um, is I think the most beautiful thing that I've experienced in any yoga class that either I'm teaching or I'm attending or... um, I'm just watching. So, Catherine, I want to ask you a couple personal questions. How are you taking care of yourself extra specially during this time? Oh, thank you. You're assuming that I'm taking care of myself. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, How am I taking care of myself? Uh, In all honesty, creating a regular routine has been really, uh, really great for me. Before this, I was working about three jobs um, and really was never home and never really got to do yoga to the extent that I wanted to do it. Um, and so now having the time to lay in bed for an extra 15 minutes, uh, having the time to call my mother, my mother and I have been doing weekly yoga every, every Wednesday and she's a boomer and she getting it. She loves it. She's like, I'm so excited for my class. Um, (laughs) and, uh, taking baths have been really, really nice. I've been really into the bath life. Um, it's awesome. Making a morning smoothie has been awesome. Um, I'm very privileged that I have access to uh, food being delivered to my apartment so I don't have to go to the grocery store, which has been a lifesaver. And so I've been really intentional with the food that I am intaking. Um, Also, just like having a nightly glass of wine, you know? Um, I also do partake in the cannabis so I have totally been getting high uh, and just allowing myself to question like the existence of life at this point, which I'm an Aquarius, so I'm very, very existential. Um, and I am enjoying it for the first time in my life. Like I have nowhere that I need to be. Like somebody was like, yo, you don't have to leave your house. In fact, we're going to congratulate you for not leaving your house. And I was like, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Where has this woman been? <laughs> Bless. Um, <laughs> so, like, I mean, I've definitely had the worries of, like, oh, am I going to pay my bills? But I've also been like, oh, this is amazing. You mean I can just read my books? That's it? Sway. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is a pro uh, cannabis podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know you mentioned having a nightly glass of wine. And, frankly, this is the real reason we brought you on the podcast. Do you prefer red wine or white? Oh, word. Okay. Um, uh, I definitely late. Okay. Lately, I prefer red. Before that, I was more of a like white wine at brunch kind of person. We can continue the podcast then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm glad that I'm glad that that fed your spirit a little bit. (laughs) Uh, what is powerful about centering black fat femmes in the movement and yoga industry. Hell yeah. I mean, (laughs) 
first of all, like the worst thing that you can possibly be on the planet, right, is like a black fat woman. Like, how dare you, right? And so, like, well, that's the that's the message that I think is often um, sent out, right? Who is the person in the movies that you see? Who is the girl on the yoga poster that you see? It's a skinny white woman. Um, and so, to be a thicker bodied black femme um, is really it's not important to me. It is, um, it is my identity and to be able to be centered in my identity and grounded. And, um, like, honestly, Jessamyn Stanley is like the, like, if I could meet her, I would probably die. Um, (laughs) but like the fact that I, um, and she came out probably I was in college, like seeing her as a black fat yogi, um, just, being beautiful as fuck and being present and being seen and being taken seriously really gave me the courage to be like, I want to teach yoga. Yeah, I could do this. Um, Because it says that no matter what body you have or what body you um, exist in, you are still worthy of movement and of health and of love and of self-care and of community um i want to go back to something you just talked about it which is the basically this ability and power of being seen uh i feel like we haven't talked about this enough but one thing that happens a lot in sports is their season ending injuries and their identity of able-bodied immediately changes and they have all these internal struggles um, can you touch on a little bit as your work uh, as a, from a yoga instructor around like how maybe folks who are either losing themselves a little bit from COVID, but also just in general, uh, and how we as able-bodied folks can be a little bit more supportive to disabled folks uh, who also want to kind of get this work in? Oh, for sure. Um, so I think that a lot of uh, what happens with um idolizing of a certain like movement or body type or um even modality right like i was a dancer uh for a while and then i had this realization that like oh my body was not made to dance professionally like it just wasn't my hip was going here my back was fucking up and i was like okay yeah this is not what i need to be doing and then had to like again pivot my id my my what I thought was my want and what I thought was my absolute need um, and what I thought was my trajectory. Um, And I think in all honesty, what I do in my classes a lot is like modifications Um, and just the 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 reminder that everything that I say is a suggestion. Right. Nothing is mandatory. Listen to your body, Uh, because really the only person who knows what's going on in your body is you. I know what you look like on the screen. I know where your hips need to be for alignment, you know, for alignment and correct placement. Um, But I don't know what's going on in your body. Um, And also, I don't know what's going on in your emotional quotient. And a lot of people, especially uh, people who are really heavily into sports, have kind of divorced what their body feels um, from what their body actually needs. Um, And a lot of that is for, uh, you know, it works to their advantage at some point, right? Like if I'm swimming and I'm a professional swimmer 
and I know that I need to get this last fucking lap in, um, I'm going to train my body so that it can do that, regardless of how I feel. Um, And so when you start to get into movement practices like yoga and like um, even some forms of dance, really, like modern, really goes off of how you feel, right? Um, Improvisation and viewpoints work really goes off of how you feel. Uh, There becomes kind of this um, shock and kind of a culture, what is it called? A culture clash, I guess, like culture shock. Um, When you're like, you know, I'm doing what I usually do and it doesn't feel the same. And like, oh, how do I process that? What? What's going on here? Um, and so just really creating space. If I take a yoga class and there are no modifications and there are no extra suggestions and at no point does the teacher say this is all, you know, up to you, I'm out of there in two seconds. I have literally packed up in the middle of a class and walked out um, because I need to know that my body is safe here. Because I have spent most of my life not being safe. When did you start doing yoga? Not in a, like a professional way, uh, but just recreationally. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. So I trained as a dancer um, for a number of years. I want to say that when I was a sophomore in high school... Um, I was taking an intensive and we had to pick a like extracurricular activity and on the extracurricular activity list was yoga and it just so happened to be a black teacher who I loved Um, and I was like all right I guess I'll take this whatever and I fell madly in love (laughs) and then uh, so I took it for that whole year Um, and then Moving on, you know, I kind of like took yoga classes here and there growing up in New York where I'm kind of like, all right, let me slide into this class. And I have that access and that privilege to do that. And then when I went to college, experiencing more sexual trauma, I kind of um, would do it every other day, every third day, maybe once a week. Um, And it really wasn't anything regular. And then like that same kind of trajectory occurred and like continued until I would say I was about 22, 23, um, where, and all of this, the follow through line is sexual trauma through all of this. Um, and then at about 22, 23, I was like, let me continue to move my body in a way that just feels good. And it wasn't exactly yoga and it wasn't exactly dance. It was kind of a, a melding of the two. Um, and then I realized that I would like to teach that it was something that I would like to do and also a way to make a little extra money because capitalism and (laughs) I was like all right let me figure out how I can go about getting this and at the time there really were not any um or not any that I had access to um black yoga studios or yogis that I knew that were teaching um at least a 200 hour um and so I wound up getting my certification through a studio that's now closed it was mostly run by two white women um and i was pretty much the only black big body person there and definitely felt it throughout the training but then that just gave me more impetus to continue on and to continue to teach and to continue to kind of just investigate more body movement activity um and teaching more body movement awesome uh so just a quick thing though um I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, just a quick thing. Uh, 
is would you consider yoga to be like a safe space for you (laughs) um would i consider yoga to be a safe space for me the way that it is in mainstream society no but I think the way in which I have taken it and uh, not taken, that sounds so fucking wrong. You're good. The way that I have interacted with it um, has created a safe space. Yes. Excellent. That's what I was hoping here. And one thing that I've always appreciated about you is this constant of focus and awareness of the journey and the process. So thinking about that, and say back to when we met or even five years before that what would you say to your younger self oh god (laughs) oof what would i say to my younger self my younger self was fucked up uh i would say um listen to yourself keep going you're gonna be all right that's beautiful Short and sweet. Yeah, I know. And I have one last question for you. You introduced yourself initially as an artist, and we've spent a lot of time talking about you as a yoga teacher. Uh-huh. What kind of art are you doing right now uh, in your spare time? Yeah. Uh, so I have been writing songs again and song lyrics. Um, I spent a lot of time kind of being away from... Uh, the art realm of performance art um and now i'm kind of slowly 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 making a comeback into it so i've been writing a lot of songs and song lyrics and i have been moving my body and just kind of recording so whatever comes out is like whatever comes out and figure it out i fully support everyone doing that uh yeah no, expressing yourself is really good for you on the inside. Gives you a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to end this podcast. Agreed. But just want to say thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on, for all of your really honest uh, answers uh, and questions back to us, your vulnerability and your consistency to do this work. And I'm just stoked for getting a chance to work with you time and time again of which we uh, are excited to co-host a series in June, a weekly series uh, for this particularly. Do you want to go ahead and introduce that? Sure. Uh, We're going to host a three-week series in June and call it Restorative Yoga for All Bodies. And I hope to see you all there. Also, thank you all for having me on this podcast. It's been dope. And thank you for challenging me earlier. Uh, That's (laughs) something I I don't know if it sounds sarcastic, but it was not. Uh, I think everyone needs to be around people who are like happy to challenge them. And like, that's how we're all going to get better. Yeah. If your friends aren't challenging you, they're really not your friends. Bingo. That is true. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. Have a lovely rest of your night. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye.